you and it's wonderful to be here tonight i just want to share a, a little bit on heart the heart my heart your heart the heart my heart on the heart it's this is a huge subject folks i mean there's over 500 usages of the word heart in the old testament alone so <clears throat> this is the tip of the iceberg uh and i i highly recommend you take some time just to look into this stuff because god wants your heart that's all he wants from you is your heart we've heard that the heart is uh been defined as the the seat of thought the thought life or the emotional life okay i mean yeah i I can see that but there's a lot more to it than that let's uh open up our bibles and start in ephesians 3 and we'll be in uh chapter uh, chapter 3 verse 14 every time i read this publicly i uh ask that um if you're going to pray anything for me pray this first okay this is what i want you to pray for me not that i'm dictating to you but i would really appreciate if you prayed this says uh, for this reason i bow my verse 14 this reason i bow my knees to the father and i'm in the rev because i just love the work that john shane height has done here uh, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he would grant you to be strengthened with power in the inner self by means of his spirit, so that Christ would live in your hearts through trust, and that you, having being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the holy ones, as you guys, what is the le- uh, width, the length, the height, the depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you are filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that wonderful? Good night. Thank you. That's it. (laughs) We could walk away right now, right? You could could spend your entire life trying to live that out. Phrase, he would grant you to be strengthened with power in the inner self by means of his spirit thusly. This prayer started in Ephesians 3.14. We know we just read it. And this is the first part of the prayer in which Paul is praying for something for the believer. Paul is praying that the minds of the believers, their inner self, will be strengthened by God's gift of Holy Spirit. The outward self, 2 Corinthians 4.16, is the body of flesh, which grows older and weaker as the years go by. Anybody relate? feeling it uh the inner inner self or inner person being inner being or person within is the real you the you that you can t- that, that can talk with yourself do you ever do that come on man get it together it is the invisible self that thinks and plans that has desires and aspirations that has emotions and feels great joy in some circumstances but great p- pain in other circumstances it is the inner self that makes decisions about what you do. That's important. The inner self makes the decisions. It's where free will is. 
Paul also speaks of the inner self in Romans 7, 22 to 23, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and we'll be reading those later. In Romans 7, 22 to 23, Paul refers to his inner self and calls it his mind, my mind. It is sometimes taught that the real you is the Holy Spirit residing in the born-again believer, but that is not accurate and can be shown from all three verses in which Paul uses the phrase inner self. Ephesians 3, 6 makes it clear that the inner self is not spirit because the inner self is strengthened by the spirit. Furthermore, in the last part of the sentence in Romans 7, 22, 23, Paul describes his inner self as my mind. Also in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, the inner self is renewed every day, whereas the Holy Spirit, it don't need to be renewed. It is the mind that needs to be renewed, as Romans 12, 2 states. The word renewed is the same in Romans 12, 2 as in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, except in Romans it is a noun, and in Corinthians it is a verb, renewing. The inner self is the self that makes decisions and drives the thoughts and actions that people will be judged for on the day of judgment. Dun, dun, dun. Whew. Here in Ephesians 3, Paul prays for believers and asks that their inner self be strengthened with power by the gift of Holy Spirit. Indeed, a person's mind and willpower can be strengthened in many ways as the Spirit works in them. God works in the believer both to want to do and to do his good pleasure. Verse, uh, Philippians 2.13 And very often that working is through the gift of Holy Spirit in the believer. It is through the gift of Holy Spirit that God and or Christ often gives revelation to the believer. Also, Christians can feel the presence of Holy Spirit when they speak in tongues and interpret or prophesy, and or occasionally feel the Holy Spirit actually empowering their body. All these activities of God and more work in the believer and can strengthen their mind. As the believer becomes confidence in the presence and power of God and Christ in their life, their minds, their inner self is strengthened to stand firm in the faith and do the work God has for them. So you are not your heart, but the heart has incredible influence over you. You carry it with you wherever you go. The true you is the one on the inside looking out. You ever had that experience? Kind of like, oh, the psychologists call it disembodiment syndrome, and it can get very severe. But I think all of us have had that experience of your mind. You're looking outside of your body. It is your self-awareness, that inner man. It is your sentience where free will resides and choices are made. And it's the you that will survive the gathering together and the bema and will live in a new body forever. You know, people say, well, will I be me? Yes, absolutely. You will be you in so much as, you know, you're always changing, right? You're always different. The person you are yesterday is going to be different from the person you are tomorrow, but you're still you. First Corinthians 3, verse 12. But if anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become plainly seen, for the day will make it clear, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire itself will test each one's work and show what kind it is. If anyone's work that is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. But it is like he has escaped through a fire. 
get the image, right? Go through that fire and all that chaff gets burnt away. And this, of course, is talking about the uh, Bema. Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I will also give you a new heart and will put a new spirit inside you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Uh, uh, yeah, give you a heart of flesh as opposed to a heart of stone. I will put my spirit inside you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my ordinances and do them. A new spirit and a new heart, but you, you, you are still you. You survive. The heart has incredible influence on you. The heart is a culmination of thoughts, lessons, narratives, cultures, ideas, you name it, that have impacted you for better or for worse throughout your life. We certainly have certain personalities and certain drives, possibly genetically predispositions. But I assure you, little Gianni, if he grows up to be an artist, it's because his parents have molded his heart and he has modeled their heart. No pressure, guys. <laughs> Mark seven fourteen through 23, Jesus talking to the disciples, said, and he called the crowd to himself and said to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from the outside is able to defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles that person. If a man has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. And when he had entered into the house and was away from the crowd, his disciples began asking him about the parable because they were Jews, and they were all into that. You know, no lobster for us. <clears throat> and he said to them, So do you also not understand? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a person from the outside is not able to defile him? Because it goes not into his heart, but into his stomach, and then goes out into the sewer. By saying this, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person, that is what defiles the person. Evil thoughts come from within, out of a pers out of people's hearts, such as sexual immorality, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, wickedness, deceitfulness, unrestrained behaviors, stinginess, insults, pride, senselessness. All these things come from within and defile a person. You cannot control every impulse and thought that, oh, you control every impulse, sorry, but every thought, every image that comes into your mind, every, you know, influence that comes on you, but it's the stuff that you allow to impact you and influence the decisions that you make that will become part of your heart and can cause great damage to your life if it's the wrong thing. You know, think about diet, you know, think about what a consistent diet of Twinkies and Diet Coke will do for you. Huh? Yeah, you can have a Twinkie and a Diet Coke, you know, but if you live seven days a week, 365 on that, you'll be coming to see me in the cath lab pretty quick. It's important that we're aware of what we are thinking about, and it is the inner man that 
can that we should be in touch with oversees that stuff and decides what am I going to diet on? Am I going to diet on this? No, I don't think so. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Lady Gaga. I think I'll go with Zach Williams over here. You know, the stuff that goes into your heart is the stuff that is impactful upon you. I mean, think about the lessons, the big lessons in your life that really you've learned something from. Think about the emotions attached to that and, and what, what, what caused it to make so, so, it's so impactful on you. Luke 24, 28 to 32. Here's a great example of some, somebody having impact on somebody's life. This is the road to Emmaus and the two disciples. And they drew near to the village and they were going and they acted and he, this is the resurrected Jesus in disguise, incognito, secret agent Jesus. And he acted as if he was going to go no further. And they constrained him saying, stay with us because it is towards evening and the day is far spent and you don't want to be out in the road at dark and come on, hang out with us, please. We'd like to hang out with you some more. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass when he had reclined to eat with them, he took bread and blessed it, breaking it. And he began giving it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. (laughs) Wow. What an experience. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us as he was speaking to us on the road, as he was opening the scriptures to us? On the the day of Pentecost, after Peter's uh, sermon, the people were pricked in their hearts and said, men and brethren, what do we do about this? What do we do? It has an impact and it leads you to action. The Word of God talks about receiving a new heart, that Jesus is the healer, the Father is the healer of broken hearts. He's looking for people of upright hearts, pure hearts, faithful hearts. God seeks contrite and broken hearts. Wow, that, that seems kind of strange, contrite and broken hearts. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen says, Yahweh is near to those who have a broken heart. And he delivers those who have a crushed spirit. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says, For this is what the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, says. Listen to this guy. I dwell in the, the high and holy place with him who is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Why? Why is God looking for broken and contrite hearts? Because the heart of man in its natural state is twisted. It's perverse. It's a hard heart, a foolish heart, a false heart. It is a heart that is bent towards the flesh. Every evil imagination of their hearts God wants that broken. He wants us broken of that. Romans 1, verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but their thoughts became worthless and their hearts, which lacked understanding, became darkened. It's a bad condition to be in. While claiming to be wise, they became fools 
check this out, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image resembling corruptible humans and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, with the results that they dishonored their bodies with each other. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and showed devotion and served created things rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Man's heart wants to rule. He wants to be in charge of himself. He wants to be God. And it begins with exchanging that for the true God, an idol. Creating an idol in your heart. Remember that. We'll be coming back to that point in a minute. Romans 7. Again, we're talking about the heart of man in its natural state. Why it needs to be broken. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, having me sold into slavery under the power of sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Now this is Paul. This is his inner man surveying what's going on in his heart and in his life. I hope you've had this experience. For I do not understand my own actions, for I am not practicing what I truly want, but I am doing the thing that I hate. Now, if I do it, if I do what I do not truly want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. It's good not to steal. It's good not to lie. It's good not to covet. It's good not to murder. Verse 17. So now I am no longer the one who is doing it, but it is sin that lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is present in me, in the inner man, but the ability to do it is not. For I do not do the good that I truly want to do, but I practice the very evil I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not truly want to do, it is no longer I who acts this way, but sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. Although I want to do what is good, evil is present in me. For I delight in the law of God as far as the inner self is concerned. But I see a different law at work in the parts of my body, warring against the law of my mind and taking me captive to the law of sin that is in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from the body of this death? Thank God for verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with the flesh, I am serving the law of sin. Keep going. Therefore, verse 1, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in connection with Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. When it comes to dealing with the issues of your heart, the first place we start is Jesus Christ. He is the healer of our broken hearts. He is the one who will bind up our wounds and correct our missteps. He is the one. Discipline is important. 
and study of the word is important, but only to the end that they bring us into close, intimate relationship with the great healer, the great shepherd. We're looking for transformation, not conformation. We don't squeeze from the outside, but we want to be transformed from the inside by that spirit within acting on our hearts. God knows our hearts. He knows our every hair on our head. He knows every thought that goes through your heart, through your mind. Good Lord. If you guys knew every thought that went through my mind, I guarantee you want nothing to do with me. <laughs> God knows every thought, and he loves us anyway. 1 Samuel 6, 17, I'm sure you know this verse, but Yahweh said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as a man sees, for men see the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. Solomon, in his prayer of dedication to the temple, in 1 Kings 8, 37, 40 said, uh, 37 through to 40 said, if there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight, mildew, locust, or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever affliction, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer and supplication is made by any person or by all your people Israel, everyone who knows the affliction of his heart and spreads out his hands towards this house, then you here in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to every person whose heart you know according to all his ways, because you, only you, know the hearts of all the children of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave our fathers. Only God knows your heart. Only God knows your heart. If people tell you, I know your heart, I know what you were thinking, uh-uh, no, only God knows your heart. Now, don't get me wrong, I mean, you know, you sneak into my house and steal something, I kind of got an idea there might be something wrong with your heart. But, uh, you know, as far as the specifics, only God knows your heart. And even the devil doesn't know your heart. This is God's unique ability. He knows your heart. And he loves you anyway. And it was a very good start for Solomon. But if you read on, things with Solomon did not end well. You don't have to turn there. But in uh, Kings, First Kings 11, we read in verse 4, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. King Solomon had over 700 wives, I think, 300 concubines. And his heart was not wholly devoted to Yahweh his God, as was the heart of David his father. David, King David. 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22 say that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, if you know David and you know his record, I mean, there's the incident with Bathsheba. That was not cool. I mean, he, he had Bathsheba's husband murdered, basically, put in a dangerous position in the front lines uh, so that he was vulnerable and ended up getting killed. And then he took Bathsheba. There was the numbering of Israel. 
I mean, David was a, a man of war. He was called a bloody man. And yet God says he was a man after his own heart. Why? Why would God say that about such a man? Mark 7, 28. It says, one of the experts of the law came and heard them disputing one another. When he, he saw that Jesus had answered them well, he asked them, what commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. One Lord, one God. And you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Remember Romans 1, we just read it how their twisted imaginations and their wickedness, they went after other gods. And then you read the history of Israel. And, you know, this king did evil because he went after other gods. And this king did evil because he went after other gods. And Moses goes up the mountain, and next thing you know, there's a golden calf and people dancing around naked. You know, God, it's it's the, the kingdom's of the, the spiritual kingdoms of this world that are in charge of this world are competing for your loyalty. They're competing for your heart. And if you get any anything out of this teaching tonight, it's this in your heart cement that you are loyal to God, loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the line in the sand. And if you ask me to defy my God, if you ask me to defy my Lord, my answer is no. There is no other God, and him I serve. And I'll tell you, we can learn a lot from the warriors of this world, from the Marines, and from the soldiers and the men and women that will, that will give their lives for their country. How much more should we give our lives for our God and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ? This is what we need to have in our heart, first and foremost. And, and you know, uh, we, we talk a lot about the love of God, and we talk a lot about, um, uh, you know, the, these attributes. But for me, for me personally, the thing that, that I really locked onto in my heart and in my mind that had the most impact was he is my God and he is my Lord like uh, <clears throat> a knight that will serve a king. King Arthur, you know, I grew up in England, and King Arthur was a big part, the Arthurian legends, you know, and, and this king, this benevolent king, and his, his, his knights, his warrior knights that would stand between him and whatever was coming at him and refuse to give in to the pressures of the world refused to give in to the pressures of the enemy and that would stand. Treason is the reason that the devil wants your heart. He wants you to commit treason. You are to be the image of God. That's what we were created for, to image God. And he wants you to be the image of him. No. Ephesians six twelve says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world 
rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And they are out there and they are competing for your heart. The Old Testament believer without spirit, they had their hearts changed. Saul, when he, <clears throat> read the record of Saul, when he meets with Samuel and uh, <clears throat> gets anointed as king, goes off and joins the, the prophets and prophesies. And it says that he received a new heart. How much more we that are Christians who are deep with these issues of heart um, can look to the Lord Jesus and expect him to be able to heal our hearts, to change our hearts, to repair our hearts. You know, if the heart is the result of these impactful lessons now, some of that impact, some of us grew up in places and, and had impacts and lessons in our lives. We hold narratives and ideas in our heart or did. I'm only speaking for myself here, I suppose, that can be extremely detrimental and uh, can be, you know, a, a, a house built on sand, foundational ideas that um, just can make the whole house rocky. But I'm here to tell you that despite the mistakes that I have made and the, the mistakes that my parents made, I, I stand before you healed and with a new heart, a better heart, a repaired heart. Thank God for that. Think about our culture today. Think about children growing up. Think about children growing up in single family households. Now, look, I, I have... I know there are many wonderful single moms out there, but where are the fathers in our society? And what is the impact that those men being missing from their children's lives is having on those kids? We're already seeing it. We're already seeing it today. Verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness of speech, and are not like Moses who put a veil on his face so that the sons of Israel could not look steadfastly on the end to that which was passing away. And he's talking about Moses glowing when he came down from Sinai for the glory, from the glory of the Lord. He didn't want to see it fading away. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened. Harden your mind, harden your heart. You know, and, and when we read words like, mind and heart in the in the bible and we think about how this whole system this whole design is integrated your mind and your heart and your thoughts and your emotions all work together and sometimes it's very difficult to separate the one from the other and a lot of times you don't have to okay talking about what goes on between your ears but no, always, always, you have that free will. And you have the ability to monitor what's going on. Anyway, their minds were hardened for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only in Christ, only in Christ is it taken away. Now this, of course, is talking about the, the, the Jewish people that refuse to believe in the Messiah. But, you know, there are many th veils, many things, many issues that are covering and, and, and suffocating 
the righteous heart or the, the ability of the heart to be righteous, I guess I should say. Verse 16, but when any, whenever, whenever anyone, whenever anyone, that's a big invitation right there, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, freedom. Are there, there are issues of your heart that are binding up your life that are, are you're like, are you, do you have the experience? I, I, I can, man, I can relate to this where you're, you're looking at your actions and you're saying to yourself, why am I doing this? What is going on? What, what, what is the cause of this panic, this anger, this depression? <clears throat> Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Turn first to the Lord. And the spirit that is within you. Verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces reflecting as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same appearance from glory unto glory, just as one would expect. For the Lord, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The more we look into that mirror, the more it gets reflected back on us. You know, but you got to get in front of the mirror, man. you got to get in front of the mirror. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says that we are to be transformed, not conformed to this world, not conformed by religion or outward squeezing or some kind of Vulcan mind meld power for you sci-fi fans (laughs) no but by the inner transformation that comes from Christ in you 1st Corinthians carrying on verse 1 4 verse 1 says therefore since we have this ministry just as we have received mercy we are not discouraged on the contrary we have renounced hidden, shameful things, not walking in craftiness, nor adultering the word of God, adulterating the word of God. But by the open display of the truth, we are commending ourselves in the presence of God to every person's conscience. The adversary works in secrecy. He doesn't want you to talk about it. He doesn't want you to talk about him. He doesn't want you to talk about your sin. He doesn't want you to talk about the works that he wants to work in secrecy. He wants to isolate you in that and in the issues of your heart that you're trying to deal with as if somehow your sin is so unique to you. (laughs) It's not, I assure you. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to any of these 12-step organizations like AA or Al-Anon or CODA. And I know a lot of people, you know, Christians are like, mm. no, you know, they, they don't define it's a higher power. They don't, you know, well, first of all, you get to define who that, what that higher power is based on, you know, whatever you want to define it as. And I will also tell you that there have been far more people that AA have sent to church than church has ever sent to AA. But the thing about AA, how AA and Al-Anon works, is that people sit around and they listen. They listen to each other as they as the other guy tells the story. 
about how he drank himself into the gutter and lost his wife and lost his car and lost his family and lost his house. And then you're sitting there going, wait a minute, I did that too. I did that too. And then all of a sudden you're not so isolated. All of a sudden, hey, maybe what he did to deal with that situation, I can do also. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray one for another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. John 1, 1 John 1, 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Ephesians 4, therefore, verse 25, therefore putting away falsehood, each one is to speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members one of another. Talk to each other. Be honest with each other and yourself. From You cannot be delivered until you admit you have a problem. That's step one. First, uh, back to First Corinthians 4. And, you know, I just want to say, look, I understand. I understand that there is a history of authoritative abuse within the Christian church that people have used uh, each other's sin as, as leverage against you or, or to make to shame you or I understand that but you know you, you got to have people that you trust that you can talk to brothers and sisters and that requires you taking a risk and reaching out and talking and look I I know what a sinner I have been and am. <laughs> and if you need someone to talk to, you can call me. I guarantee you, you can call Gary Lee or Doug Seibert. There are years of experience here available to you. And if you want it, we want to help. We do. Uh, okay, verse 3 of uh, first Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4. But even in our if our good news is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, to keep them from seeing and shining forth the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, because it is God who said, Light will shine out of darkness who has shined in our hearts to provide illumination by way of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is on the face of Christ Jesus. Verse 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the exceeding greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are pressed on every side, yet not crushed perplexed, confused, yet not driven to despair, persecuted, yet not forsaken, struck down, yet not destroyed, always carrying around in our body the putting to death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be made visible in our body. Dealing with some of this heart stuff can be hard. It's emotional. It's, you know, like, folks, I've said this before. People don't believe me. I spent two weeks paralyzed on a sofa. Couldn't move. 
after making a realization of an issue that I was having, a heart issue that I, that I had, that I had to deal with, that was sinful, that was impacting me negatively. And it was devastating. But what did Jesus have to carry? What did Jesus have to deal with? Carry his suffering so that we can look to what he got to. Verse 11 says, For we who live are always handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also will be visible in our mortal flesh, so that, so then that death keeps working in us, but that life in you. But since we have the same spirit of trust as that shown in what has been written, I believe, therefore I speak, we also believe and so also speak, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up also to be with Jesus and will bring us along with you into his presence. For all things are for your sake, so that grace, as it is spreading to more and more people, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So we are not discouraged. It can be difficult, sorrowful, godly sorrow, repentance, change can be difficult. But we will not be discouraged. We know that it is God who is working in us to willing to do of his good pleasure. On the contrary, even though our outward self is wasting away, Yet our inner self is renewed day by day. For our light momentary affliction, light momentary affliction, when you compare it to eternity, is producing for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are everlasting. And I want to close uh, with the commentary from the REV, seeing as John Shaneheit's commentary started this. I'm going to end it with his commentary on uh, Ephesians 3.17, which I thought was just amazing in this light. <clears throat> it is unfortunate that this phrase is somewhat divorced from the previous phrase by the Ephesians 3.17 verse break, because the two phrases are integrally linked and the first is essential to the meaning of the second. The more complete idea is that God would grant you to be strengthened with power by his spirit in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through trust. It is as the believer is strengthened by God's power and both feels it in his life and manifests it out into the world that their trust in Christ is solidified and Jesus becomes more living and real to them. Every believer has Christ in them because they have the gift of Holy Spirit born in them. But not every believer has Christ dwelling, living or residing in their heart. Furthermore, uh, in, in their hearts because they really trust him. In fact, sadly, many Christians feel quite distant from Jesus Christ. Furthermore, for most Christians, simply having an intellectual knowledge about the Bible and Jesus Christ does not produce the fullness of trust in Christ that is really satisfying to the soul. That kind of real depth of trust cannot be attained by just study, but by knowledge combined with action and experiencing God's power. 
No wonder Paul prays that Christians can be strengthened with God's power so that they will trust Christ to such a degree that he really lives in their heart. This verse is a prayer and a call for Christians to not be content with just having a head knowledge of Jesus Christ, but having a deep trust in him because of having to rely on his power and see it work over and over. Romans 10, verse 8. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message of trust that we are proclaiming. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made, resulting in salvation. For the scripture said, says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. I am found. I am yours. I am loved. I made pure. I have life. I can breathe. I am healed. I am free. Here's my my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Cause I am found. I am yours. I am You are light, you endure. 